The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I am honored to welcome back one of my favorite guests, Dr. Todd Cooperman. He is the president, founder, and editor-in-chief of ConsumerLab.com, which is an independent tester and evaluator of dietary supplements, also known as a watchdog of the supplement industry. Dr. Cooperman is a nationally recognized and respected researcher, writer, and speaker on consumer health care issues. He is a graduate of the Boston University School of Medicine, where he received his M.D. in 1987. He also received his bachelor's degree from Boston University with a major in medical sciences and a minor in economics. Dr. Cooperman is also the founder and CEO of PharmacyChecker.com, which is an evaluator of online pharmacies. Now, we had Dr. Cooperman on twice before now. He last joined us in May of 2016, but with so many dietary supplements to choose from, and I understand the confusion of going into the marketplace, I think it's time for our annual review to help consumers sort through some of the marketing claims, assorted ingredients, and whether there's really credible science behind those claims. I cannot promote ConsumerLab.com enough. I do so every time. I'm in an interview situation where I have a client or a consumer asking me about a supplement. I believe it is the number one source for dietitians and physicians for sorting truth from fiction and finding out which supplements actually contain the ingredients and perform as manufacturers claim. So welcome, Dr. Cooperman. It's great to have you back. Thank you, Melinda, and thank you for that nice introduction. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Well, in terms of credibility, I love having a really great resource on this topic. I seem to be getting more questions about dietary supplements, probably because our demographic is aging. And in preparing for our interview, I did a little research to see just how many people do take supplements in the United States. And this is a survey that was done in 2016. It was done by NutraceuticalsWorld.com. And they said that over 170 million Americans take dietary supplements, representing 71% of U.S. adults. Those are a lot of people who need to know the facts about their dietary supplements. Definitely are. And, you know, it's interesting. We get even more traffic to our site when there's less health care being provided. If something changes with the Affordable Care Act, I'm sure there's going to be even more people using supplements because people start turning more toward treating themselves or, or natural approaches. So, yes, there's tremendous interest in all kinds of supplements. And supplements include so many things. It's not just vitamins and minerals. It's the fish oils and the CoQ10s and all the herbals. There are even cocoa flavanol supplements out there. So there's so many things covered by supplements. Exactly. You have coconut water on your site. You have green tea, aloe, salt palmetto, everything from A to Z. And I believe you told me there were 5,000 supplements that you have reviewed. Right. We've been doing this since 1999, so it gives us a lot of time to test a lot of products, and we're buying supplements every day off the shelf and testing them. So 
right now, I mean, we, as we test new products, we replace that information on our site. So at any given time, we have at least reviews of a thousand different health and nutrition products. Yeah, and the reviews are quite exhaustive, I might add. I was looking at the one, for example, on magnesium. And not only do you talk about which supplements are approved in terms of containing what they say they contain, but you also have ideas on what if you want to get it from a dietary source. Here's where you can get it in food. So, you know, I think it's really important for people to know where we get it from the diet how it might happen that you don't have enough, how a certain dietary supplement, vitamin, or mineral can impact health risks. So, for example, with the magnesium, there's a discussion about diabetes. What does overconsumption look like? What do we have to be concerned about? And it's a great service, and consumerlab.com for anybody who's wanting to go to the site as we do this interview. People can go online, they can sign up to receive a free, it's really like a teaser newsletter. And I get to see what supplements you've reviewed lately. And if you want more, then you can be a subscriber. And many of my colleagues at the University of Missouri subscribe, and we share information back and forth and have good discussions about it. But I was intrigued by some of your latest reports, and I thought, well, why don't we just talk about some of these more recent reviews that you've done? The first one that I want to talk about has to do with eye supplementation. I have a good friend who is dealing with macular degeneration, and her doctor has recommended that she take a supplement that contains both lutein and zeaxanthin. These are antioxidants that are found in foods such as egg yolks, corn, dark green leafy vegetables, and there is some good research showing that these compounds in our diet can help prevent the occurrence of macular degeneration, but it probably doesn't cure it. Mm -hmm. Well, it doesn't prevent it, but it does slow down the progression of age-related macular degeneration. So lutein, if you get basically 6 to 10, and 10 might be better, milligrams per day of lutein, which as you said, you can get from food, but many people don't, that has been shown to slow down the progression of age-related macular degeneration. So it is one of those supplements that kind of gets a thumbs up for being effective. And there are, there are formulas out there that have lutein in them. There are the, you know, the ARADs. There's major studies that have been occurred trying different formulations of supplements for, for macular degeneration. Lutein has definitely been found to be helpful. Some zinc may be helpful as well. They tried fish oil in, in one of the formulas. And these are major studies, the, the ARAD studies. The fish oil did not help but the lutein has helped. The zeaxanthin is questionable whether that's necessary or not, but definitely the, the lutein. Mm-hmm. We've tested you know, many lutein supplements, and it's fairly inexpensive. You can, you can get lutein for $0.10, cents, $0.15 cents a day. Yeah, that's another thing I love about your website is that you show not only if the product is approved in terms of containing what it says it contains in the amount and quality, but also you give a range of, gosh, I can get the very same product and it's going to cost me 14 cents a dose versus another product that's going to cost me maybe 41 cents a dose. So it really helps a person who's on a limited income make choices. And I do want to just go back to something that you said about when people don't have access to health care. I think this is exactly what we're seeing. We're seeing the cost of medical care increasing. 
I rarely have been told to take any supplements from my doctor with the exception of calcium because I'm a woman and, you know, to protect my bone health. But there's really not a lengthy discussion about these kinds of supplements, nor do I think that there's good understanding among healthcare providers. So once again, kudos to you for providing this resource. Are there any risks to taking these supplements for the eye, for eye health? With lutein, it's fairly safe. Again, it's like all supplements. You know, moderation is a very important term. And, you know, as you know, as a nutritionist, unfortunately, once something becomes popular in the market and if, if you need to take 10 milligrams, there will be products on the market with 20. There will be more products on the market with 50. Right. Um, and people will buy them. So it's very important to kind of stay at the amount that's been shown to be helpful. But lutein in general is a fairly safe supplement. That's really good to know. It's interesting. I think people sort of went through this phase of cholesterol fearing, and I don't think it's totally gone away. I think a lot of those remnants of don't eat eggs still remain, but egg yolks are one of these really concentrated sources of many good nutrients, such as lutein. So I think that there might be areas where people may not be getting this adequately from their diet. So... If this is a concern, then this supplement does show promise in helping to slow the progression. That's a good piece of information to know. All right, let's go down my list. I know I had a lengthy list for you, and I thought, oh, this is terrible to do to this man. But I want to talk about lithium. And the reason I want to talk about lithium is because I recently interviewed a gentleman who is a psychiatrist who spoke about lithium as well as magnesium for moderating our moods. If we have a low level of depression, maybe there's some supplements that can help. And of course, omega-3s have also been looked at in terms of mental health, brain function as well. So let's talk about lithium. Let's talk about the omega-3s in relation to brain function in particular. But what do we need to know about lithium? Well, first, I listened to your interview with, is it Dr. Greenblatt? Dr. Greenblatt, correct. Excellent interview. He sounded very very rational and educated and experienced, so it sounded uh, very interesting what he's been doing with lithium. So based on uh, reports like that where physicians are recommending that people take these very low doses of lithium, and when I say low dose, you know, lithium carbonate, given as a, a prescription, you're taking 900 milligrams, and a part of that is lithium. Actually, you have to kind of realize that part of that weight is the carbonate, part is the lithium, but you're, you're still getting hundreds of milligrams of uh, lithium. The kind of lithium that he's suggesting and, and others are and, and that are found, that's found in the, in the water supply that you'd be getting per day, there you're talking about half a milligram of, of lithium or one milligram or as much as five milligrams. So it's not even low dose. It would really be like very low dose lithium that we're talking about here. Right. Um, and I've heard the term used nutritional lithium. I do not believe actually it's been proven that that's an essential nutrient, but it is very safe at such a low level. And, and as, as he had mentioned in your, your interview with him, people are getting this all the time from their water, perhaps not if it's filtered though. So we went out and uh, like we always do, we purchased a number of in this case, lithium supplements off the shelves and online, brought them in and then tested them to see if they, one, contained the lithium that they claimed, and two, if they were a tablet, would they break apart properly? And we found that, that the products on the market, at least the products that we tested, do contain the lithium that they claim. 
Interestingly, even though a dose of, say, one milligram is being, or half a milligram is like, is what's being prescribed by physicians like Dr. Greenblatt, again, the, you know, the industry has jumped ahead of that, and most of the products on the market today will provide between 5 and 20 milligrams of lithium. There was one product that contained, went kind of in the complete opposite direction and had only 0.05 milligrams, which is about one-tenth or less than, than what, what he's prescribing. Right. So like always, you need to know what you're looking for when you're looking for these products and looking to choose one. If you do want to get one milligram at this point, really it's, it's fine to buy a capsule that has, say, five milligrams and pour out whatever percentage that you think you don't want or need. And these are fairly inexpensive. Uh, they can be fairly inexpensive. I mean, you could also spend a lot on them. But you can get these supplements for under 10 cents a day, and that's for 5 milligrams. So that's what we found with lithium. Again, the quality of the products was fine. The lithium was there. One other thing to keep in mind, as I, as I mentioned before, is that when you look at the labels, lithium in supplements is typically from lithium orotate or right. lithium aspartate. Right. And the majority of the molecule is not lithium. It's the orotate or the aspartate. So you need to make sure you're getting, you know, you want one milligram of the lithium, not of the, the larger molecule. So if it just says one milligram of lithium orotate, I believe you might be getting about 10, 20% of that is the actual lithium. Oh, interesting. Well, the other thing that you do with Consumer Lab is you check for contaminants. And in particular, you look at lead, cadmium, and arsenic. Do you look at any other contaminants? We do. depends on what the supplement is. And we did look for that in lithium. We found all of them to be fine in terms of, uh, you know, not being contaminated with these heavy metals. And that's probably because the dose is so low of the lithium anyhow. But But we wanted to check. When you're taking hundreds of milligrams of something, you know, whether it's magnesium or calcium, or herbal products, even more likely a source of of contaminants, that's where we're more concerned about the metals. In fish oils, we will look also for things like mercury and PCBs, although I must tell you, you're really not going to find much mercury in a fish oil supplement because the mercury, you will find it in fish for sure, in fish meat, but the mercury binds to protein. Fish oil is not protein, it's, it's lipids, it's fat. So you're not going to get metals binding to the fat. Plus, these are typically distilled. Plus, they're typically from the smaller fish, not those that are higher in the food chain. So, you know, if you want to get mercury, go out and some bluefish. If you want to avoid mercury, get a fish oil supplement. There's not going to be a contamination in there. There's sometimes, we've rarely seen low levels of PCBs. It's pretty hard to avoid PCBs. It's, it's kind of permeated everything and anything with liquid in it on our earth at this point but the levels in fish oil are typically very, very low. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad to know that because mercury is one of the contaminants that concerns a lot of us when we talk about fish in the diet. Let me take one break and remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio where we are joined by Dr. Todd Cooperman. He is the president, founder, and editor-in-chief of ConsumerLab.com, an independent tester and evaluator of dietary supplements. Well, there's been a lot of research on omega-3 fatty acids, not only for mental health, but also, of course, in preventing, I believe it's cardiac arrest, especially after the first heart attack, if I'm remembering my nutritional applications correctly. So many times people are told to take a fish oil supplement, I believe it's one to two 
grams? Am I thinking correctly? I'm trying to remember back. With fish, so there's fish oil, and then within the fish oil are the omega threes, right? The, uh, primarily EPA and DHA. So on one hand, you know, you may want to get two grams of fish oil, but that probably is going to provide you about a third to half of that might be the actual omega threes, depending on how concentrated that fish oil supplement is. And at this point, there are products that are in that kind of low 30% range up to about 90%, which is where you also are when you're dealing with a prescription fish oil, like a Lovaza. So it depends on the concentration in there. But the amount that you want is, is kind of what you said. It's about a gram or two a day of the fish oil, which will give you about 500 milligrams or so of the EPA and DHA. Now, what about supplements that contain ALA? ALA is is also uh, an omega three. It's not from marine oils. It's from it's a plant based oil. Right. So it, it's in flaxseed, for example. ALA. There's no proven cardiovascular benefit from ALA. Frankly, I think you're better off eating flaxseed, ground flaxseed, because it has some fiber, than taking oil with with ALA. And only a sm- very very small percent of it uh, of it actually can be converted over to to DHA and EPA. So you don't get the cardiovascular potential benefit that you get with fish oil. Although I should say also, a lot of the studies, even with fish oil, have not shown benefit in terms of preventing cardiovascular disease. It's really only in cases, as you've mentioned, where people already have some some cardiovascular disease that it's been shown to be helpful. It's much more helpful to eat fish than to just take fish oil if you're just trying to improve yourself cardio from a cardiovascular perspective. But I would say that if you don't eat any fish, there might be some, there may be some benefit to taking the fish oil. Yeah, I think so. And you know, and I've looked at some of the research. There's been studies on breast milk, and the concentrations of the omega-3 fatty acids and brain development in children seems to be protective. And then there's the whole issue of the balance when we have too much omega-6 compared to the omega-3, and increasing the levels of omega-3s so that there can be even a greater conversion of the ALA to the longer chain omega-3s as long as there isn't too much of that omega-6 in the diet to prevent that conversion from happening as efficiently. Yeah, I, I've seen some that kind of that in the literature as well. It's interesting with the with fish oil. I mean, originally there was so much excitement around fish oil, and it really was from the cardiovascular perspective. Yeah. Because they were showing such a difference in populations that ate a lot of fish versus those that didn't. When they did the studies, they didn't find that cardiovascular benefit. But there are other benefits, psychological benefits, in terms of anxiety and things like that. As an anti-inflammatory, there appear to be benefits as well. And there's so many diseases you know, that that touches upon. So if you're not eating fish, it, it, it is advisable to, to take a fish oil supplement. But if you're already getting the lipids, the, the omega-3s, from fish, it probably is not going to do much for you unless you have high triglycerides, and then they, they've shown that taking super high concentrated amounts of fish oil will help lower triglyceride levels. Hmm. Interesting. Another one of the supplements that Dr. Greenblatt had mentioned for mental health is magnesium. And I first became aware of magnesium when we were talking about it in terms of people who were at greater risk for developing type 2 diabetes. And that's really when it came onto my radar. And now I see 
a much greater increase in popularity among people will say they take magnesium for all kinds of reasons, including a calming kind of feeling. I wonder if you have anything that you'd like to say about magnesium supplements. They're, again, fairly safe. At You only need about 300, 400 uh, milligrams of magnesium per day. Most people are probably getting 200 to 300, so you just need a little bit, you know, an extra 100 milligrams. Mm-hmm. You know, you could get that from a, a multivitamin. It has become very popular. There are certain forms you probably don't want to buy as a pill. <laughs> it's interesting. We, we've we now had several people re- report to us, and we've seen it ourselves. If you buy a, a magnesium chloride tablet, for example, and you leave it out for a day or two, and you come back, you will find that it, it is literally sweating, <laughs> absorbing so much water from the air and and then it will ruin any other pill that it's next to if you have it in like a you know a daily pill pack or something yeah so it is it's fine as a liquid and it is sold in liquid form but you know you just need to choose the form the form can can matter as well typically the um the gluconates the uh, tend to be better tolerated than some other forms and we see that with some of the other supplements as well that are out there. Yeah, I know that yeah, having loose stools is one way to know that you're taking too much of the magnesium. That's one of the side effects. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, and, you know, citrate is another form that's fine. And magnesium is inexpensive also. Again, one of those supplements that just costs, uh, you know, pennies per day. You know, it's funny. Some people used to think you needed to take uh, magnesium with calcium. It's right. not really the case. In fact, you... If you're taking a lot of calcium, which you probably shouldn't be doing in the first place, you know, you probably want to take less than 500 milligrams at a, at a time. Um, but it will compete also with the absorption of magnesium and any other mineral. So if you're taking large amounts of any mineral supplement, it's better to take your other mineral supplements at another time of day. Yeah, that's really good advice. And I honestly believe that every woman is probably advised at some time in her life from her health care provider to take calcium. And I don't think that there's enough advice also looking at all of the nutrients that either affect calcium absorption and utilization or some of the other factors that lead to weakened bones. But it seems like we've just focused on calcium so much without telling the rest of the story. Yeah, there there are definite downsides to getting too much calcium. So, uh, you know, you don't want to take more than 1,000 milligrams a day. You don't want to take more than 500 at a time. And if you're already getting at least 1,000 milligrams a day, you know, you, you really, you probably need, you only need a little bit of calcium uh, on top of that. You know, I would stick to, you know, 300 milligrams or less because mm-hmm. um, there, there are downsides. There are increased risk of stroke of, uh, I believe it's kidney stones. So... Yeah, don't overdo it with, with calcium. And, you know, again, we've tested many, many calcium supplements. You do, it is useful to take it, to, if you're not, to, to take it with a, some vitamin D. That'll enhance its absorption. Um, if you're already getting enough vitamin D, you don't need it. But if you're not sure, definitely if you're taking calcium, take some vitamin D. Even 400 to 800 IU is, is, is plenty. And do you have a recommendation on D2 or D3? Yeah, D3 is is the way to go, and it's and it's so inexpensive. There's no reason not to take D3 at this point. 
Well, I was wondering about vitamin K along with vitamin D. That's been discussed on one of my nutrition listservs that here we are taking single nutrients like the calcium and then we enter vitamin D and then, oh, there's also the discussion of, well, we also need vitamin K2 along with that in order to better absorb and utilize those nutrients. You know, people, I know there's been a lot of talk, you know, in the last few years about vitamin K, and we have a whole review on vitamin K supplements as well, where we've tested those products. And some of them actually don't always have the vitamin K they they contain. So you might want to check our list there. But um, vitamin K2 is a version called MK7. seems to be the best absorbed of the vitamin Ks. Again, the, the evidence is not that clear that it's so essential that you take vitamin K. I mean, you, you need to get a certain amount. It is an essential vitamin, but most people probably are getting a lot. Uh, and it turns out that there was a study just in the last year showing that you actually get a lot of vitamin K from uh, cheese, which I, w- I wasn't even aware of. Some um, um, A scientist, I think, associated with the USDA went out and, and just checked levels of vitamin K in, in cheeses, and, and they were quite high. This is great news. Yeah, so if you look at our report, actually, we discuss the different cheeses as well where you can get it. Because, you know, Consumer Lab, we're, we're, when I started, I was really thinking, you know, I want to give information that, that my mother could use, you know, that yes. what would I tell her and feel comfortable with. So, you know, we're really trying to go soup to nuts. How much do you need? Do you need it? What's it going to do? Which are the best products? Uh, and if you can get it from food, you know, that's often the best way to go. You know, I think that your perspective is actually very similar to mine. I always dealt with my my clients the same way in that if I, I pretended this might be my mother sitting in front of me. How can I explain this to her in a way that is going to be most beneficial and helpful and the least complicated? So I'm glad to know that's the philosophy behind ConsumerLab.com. It's extremely effective. Yeah, um, and you also find it interesting to know that Occasionally, my mother calls me and tells me I made a, we have a typo somewhere. So. <laughs> That's great. It's always good to have a mother around to help us do our work better. Right. Well, we just have a few minutes left. And I know when we were planning this interview, I gave you a lengthy list. I'm sure you were rolling your eyes. But I want to let our listeners know, if you're being prescribed a statin, for example, Take a look at the Consumer Lab research on red yeast rice because it is an alternative to taking a statin without some of the nasty side effects associated with that drug. You have a great new report looking at turmeric. You have a new review of berberine, which is used to reduce glucose, blood well, glucose. That will be coming out shortly. We just put, oh, we have good. information on berberine, but our own review will be out in a, later this year. Wonderful. So that's something to look forward to. And... Chocolate safety, of course, is something that we're always looking at. I want to put the ball in your court with just a couple of minutes left. Do you want to add anything or bring forth something that I didn't bring out? You know, something crossed my mind as we were talking about fish oil. Um, there is some evidence now that the triglyceride forms, as opposed to the ethyl ester forms of, uh, of the fish oils, may be better. So uh, look for that on, on uh, labels triglyceride form. That's actually the natural form, okay. although they also do can do something chemically and then they reconvert it back to triglyceride, and that's fine too. Sometimes you won't see that on labels. It is in our report. We do check these products to see what type they have. Um, so that that's one thing. Uh, I guess just based, you know, going back to the cocoa, and we, we've talked about this before, we, do, we just finished a major report and found 
very high levels of cadmium in, in some of the dark chocolates, and, and we've been seeing it in cocos for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, mu- you be careful which, which products you use and, and use them in moderation. I think that those are the things that are on the top of my mind uh, at this point. Well, I, I want to thank you for being my guest. The time always flies with you, but your reports and your work is absolutely critical to public health. So in closing, I want to thank my guests for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. And most of all, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Todd Cooperman, President, Founder, and Editor-in-Chief of ConsumerLab.com, which is an independent tester and evaluator of dietary supplements. Thank you so much. We will provide a link to your excellent website, and I'll talk to you next year. Great. Thanks, Melinda. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.